3: for a fascinating conversation about a wide range of issues and topics on their minds. We hold these regular video conference calls so that we can have an honest discussion about what is happening in America today. I find it extraordinarily helpful to me personally in helping think through the issues that are facing us. So I hope you'll find this episode of Newt's World informative. And if you'd like to become a member of my Inner Circle Club, please go to newtsinnercircle.com and sign up for a one- or two-year membership today. Let me just say I'm delighted that all of you have decided to join us tonight, and I want you to know that having you send ideas, sending advice, proposing some ideas, I had a great email from one of you the other day that helped me rethink a particular project that they'd seen me talk about on Fox, so I'm delighted that The Inner Circle is actually working, and I hope you will feel free to tell your friends about it. But tonight, I don't want to waste a whole lot of time with me, because we have an unusual and very, very important guest. Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio's 4th District isn't just chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, although that's a big deal. But, you know, in high school, he was a four-time state champion in wrestling. His career record was 150 to 1. Let me give you some idea of the intensity he brings to problems. He went to the University of Wisconsin and was a two-time NCAA wrestling champion. As Speaker Kevin McCarthy said the other day, Jordan is a very determined competitor, and I can vouch for that. You know, throughout his career, he's led the fight against tax hikes, and he believes that cutting taxes and letting families keep more of what they earn helps build strong communities and a vibrant economy. In Congress, he introduced the only balanced budget alternative to President Obama's budget in 2009. He has served as chairman of the House Republican Study Committee. He helped found the House Freedom Caucus and served as its first chairman. I would say, when I think of solid, intelligent, hardworking conservatives in the U.S. Congress, Jim's name comes to mind almost immediately. He has emerged, I think, as a real leader for the entire conference. I can tell you from a opportunity he gave Callista and me to have dinner with the Judiciary Committee Republicans right. he is a great great team he's going to really be I think an important player and I think his committee under his leadership is going to have a very important role to play in holding government accountable for spending and waste and helping deal with the debt ceiling question and how do we turn the corner on spending so I don't want to restrict him. I know his time is very valuable and he's extraordinarily busy. So let me say, Chairman Jordan, thank you for joining us.
2: Well, first of all, thank you, Speaker. And when it comes to defending the country, helping the country, helping the Constitution and protecting the Constitution, there is no one better than you. I related a few weeks ago when you spoke to Republicans there at that dinner who were on the Judiciary Committee that I can still remember when I first got into politics, listening to your speeches, your tapes, the whole Go pack tape series and the campaign material you put together about flying upside down. So I appreciate what you've done for our nation for so many years and the folks who are joining us here this afternoon. I said this on the House floor when I actually nominated Speaker McCarthy on January 3rd. I said, I think the 118th Congress is really about three things. First of all, it's passing legislation in the House to fix the problems. And we know what the problems are. We got a border that's no longer a border. We got record crime. We got record inflation. We got bad energy policy, bad education policy. And maybe most important in my mind, we have a bureaucracy, the federal agencies, which in many ways are targeting the very people that they're supposed to serve. So those are the problems. Let's pass legislation to fix those problems, send it through the House. We'll see what Senator Schumer may do with the Senate and what Joe Biden would do if it got to his desk. But if they don't pass it, we can just get it through the House and they don't pass it. They'll have to answer for that, obviously, in the 2024 election. Second is the spending issue. And we'll spend some time on that here in just a few minutes. But well, what we have now is record spending, record inflation, record debt. And that has to change. And the first place to change it, of course, is on the debt ceiling vote that will be coming up here in the next few months. It's real important that we put together a good package, but a reasonable package that the Speaker can take to the president and be something he can get 218 votes for, then Speaker McCarthy has the leverage to get something that actually benefits the country. I will point this out. Remember it was, what, nine weeks ago when the Democrats passed at the end of the last Congress, their $1.7 trillion monstrosity of the bill, like 4,000 pages. We had like two days to look at it, spend all kinds of money on stupid things like plankton studies and everything else. And then a few weeks after that, Karine John pierre at the White House said, that The White House will not negotiate with House Republicans. Well, give me a break. You can't just spend like crazy and then say to House Republicans, oh, now we're not going to talk to you. Give us more money so we can continue the crazy spending. That's not how it works. And you saw it already begin to change when two weeks ago, Speaker McCarthy went to the White House at the president's invitation to start negotiating on the debt ceiling. So they're already figured out their position, their initial position was just ridiculous. And then finally, the third thing, which is so much a part of our committee. I sit on the, obviously on the judiciary committee, but I'm also on the oversight committee. We do need to do the investigative work, the oversight work that is part of our constitutional duty. And then once we do that, to actually get the facts on the table for the country and to begin to propose the legislation that will help solve those problems as well. So those are sort of the three fundamental things we got to do in this Congress. And we've already hit the ground running on the oversight function. We've already had three different whistleblowers. We had a third one today sit for a deposition. FBI agents coming in as whistleblowers, telling us how political that agency has become. It's pervasive. It's the disinformation governance board at DHS. It's what we see in all these other agencies. The FTC, where you just had the Republican commissioner step down because they've become so political at the FTC. It's all that. The government, the agency is being turned on. We, the people, not supposed to operate that way. And we got a lot of work to do there to get the facts on the table and then get to the legislative fixes.
3: Now that you have the power of investigation, have you been surprised that it's actually much worse than you expected?
2: It's not always the case. The only thing we ever get wrong in these things is it's always worse than we thought. You go back to the whole Russia, the Trump-Russia issue. It was they knew from the get-go that the dossier was false. They used it anyway as the basis to go spy on a presidential campaign. It's always worse than we thought. They were paying a confidential human source money from the American tax dollars, and they already knew this confidential human source had lied to them, they continued to do it. So as we get into these things, it's always worse than we thought. And I think maybe the best example is what Elon Musk has exposed with the Twitter files. There's one email from FBI special agent in the San Francisco field office, Elvis Chan, to the folks at Twitter, the heading says "Twitter folks," which shows how how you know how chummy they had become. This collusion, big tech, big government against we the people. But it says "Twitter folks." We think the following accounts list those Twitter accounts. We think these following accounts violate Twitter's your terms of service. Now think about that. You got the government telling a private company we think these accounts violate your terms of service. Take them down. I mean, they were primarily conservative Twitter accounts. That's ridiculous, and it really gets to this term that. Jonathan Turley had at our last hearing last week, he called it censorship by surrogate. And that's what we have, the government priming and pressuring these, these private entities, these tech companies, to do the censoring that the government is not allowed to do. So You know the law
3: much better than I do. But isn't that clearly a violation of the First Amendment?
2: Yeah, there's cases out there, agency principle, you can't have an agent operating on behalf of the government doing what the government's not permitted to do. So yeah, we think it's a clear violation of that. And then when you couple that with what we've seen, I just gave a speech earlier today, and I told the group, I said, you think about it, every single right we enjoy as Americans under the First Amendment has been assaulted. Everyone, your right to practice your faith, your right to assemble, right to petition the government, press and speech, all five have been attacked. Just last week, we learned that the Richmond field office, the FBI, had a memo saying, if you're a traditional Catholic, we're going to treat you as a terrorist group. Like, what's going on? You talk about a direct attack on the very first liberty mentioned in the First Amendment, freedom of religion. Here you have the government doing it. And then each and every one of those other rights, I always tell the story that it's probably been almost two years ago now, I spoke to the New Mexico Republican Party in Amarillo, Texas, because they had to go to Texas to get the freedom to assemble. First Amendment Liberty to a symbol because their crazy Democrat governor wouldn't let them get together in their own darn state. So they had to go across the line into Texas. And on and on it goes. But the scariest one of all, and this is why the left has tried to set up this disinformation governments for. This is why we see what's happened at Twitter, why we sent subpoenas today to the other tech companies asking for the same kind of communication Elon Musk has made available to us. The most important right we have is your right to talk, your right to speak. I tell folks all the time, if you can't talk in a political fashion and not be you know, sure that your government's not gonna harass you for doing so. If you can't do that, you can't practice your faith. You can't share your faith. You can't petition your government. You don't really have freedom of the press. That is the most fundamental liberty we have in this country. It's why the First Amendment's so darn important. And that's the one the left is after. It's why this oversight function that we have is so darn important this Congress. Shouldn't, for example, the people in the Richmond
3: FBI office who wrote a memo describing Catholics as terrorists, shouldn't those people
2: just be so mentally fired? Yeah, we're gonna get to the bottom of this and heck yeah, you do something that egregious, that much of a violation of, again, fundamental freedom, fundamental liberty, direct attack on the First Amendment. And again, this is government. This wasn't even trying to work through some tech company. This is the government doing it directly. That is as wrong as it gets. And so we've already started to look into that issue as well. And we wanna get the documentation. Who made that decision? Who, was it the top guy at the Richmond Field Office? Did it go through someone in the headquarters in D.C. or someone in the Washington Field Office? We want to know how that decision was made.
3: I'm very struck that every time you turn around, the very nature of the current bureaucracy makes it very hard to get your grip on people who are doing truly bad things. You know, so they just sit there and burrow deeper, but they're still there and they're still thinking bad thoughts and doing bad things. And I think that's going to be one of the great challenges that your committee has to deal with.
2: And it deals with this fundamental principle, Speaker, that I've heard you talk about as well, this idea that it's supposed to be the people who put their name on a ballot who make decisions because they're the ones who are directly accountable to we, the people. And this idea that, you know, the unelected folks who never have to go out and talk to the voters, who never have to put their name on a ballot, stand for election, go communicate with the people they hope to represent, they're making the call that's not how it works. I said to this group earlier today, I said, when did Dr. Fauci ever put his name on a ballot? But he ran our lives for stinking two years. That is not supposed to happen in America. And we got to make sure that we highlight that fundamental principle that makes us so different than all the other countries. And really, it's that concept which allows us to have the liberty we enjoy here in America.
3: I think what you're going to unearth, both at Judiciary and at the Oversight Committee, is going to ultimately be so sobering and, if you will, so frightening that it's going to require very profound changes in the law to allow the people through their elected representatives to regain control of a government, which is clearly
2: now out of control. A recent example tell us what these objects, they got a new term for it now. We had a briefing yesterday, they called unidentified aerial phenomena. So it's no longer UFOs, it's UAPs. Right. So we're on this conference call, all members of Congress, and you got someone from the White House, someone from the Department of Defense, and they go through it. We didn't learn anything on the call. I'm like, just tell us what it is, you know, like, it's supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, for the people. So let we, the people, know what the heck is going on. Nothing makes sense anymore, particularly from this administration. That's what's frustrating me. And more importantly, the folks I get the privilege of representing in the Fourth District of Ohio.
3: I just did a newsletter that will go out tomorrow entitled The Aliens Among Us. And going back through the history of Roswell and the fact that we do now have an office whose major achievement, as you point out, is to have moved from UFO. I think it's UAP.
2: UAP, Uh, yeah, UAP.
3: Yeah, they're crazy. But I mean, it's classically bureaucracy, but it's also startling how many unexplained objects they have begun to unearth over the last three or four years. And I'm not suggesting that it's necessarily aliens. I do think part of the reason they can't tell us more is they don't know. I don't think we realize yet how really ignorant our system is of what's going on.
2: Yeah, part of me, and maybe I'm just a country boy, but I started thinking like, OK, so the thing they knew about, which was the balloon, the surveillance balloon from China, they knew what that was from the get go. They let that thing fly across the country, all across the continent of the United States for a week, and then they shoot it down after it's done all that. And then the three things they don't know, they shoot them down right away. Now, maybe there's a good explanation for that, but it seems a little strange to me that The one that's surveilling us, okay, you can fly across the country. The others, we don't know what they are, but we're going to shoot them down. I think a lot of just people with common sense would ask the same question. And they shoot them down. You
3: want to bring them down in a way that we actually get the equipment. I don't know if I believe any of this right now, but apparently today they've indicated they actually followed that balloon from Hainan Island just off of China. So As it came across. Well, I believe they would never, ever have told us, we the people, if that newspaper in Montana hadn't published a picture. Somebody needs to dig into, hour by hour, what was going on? Who was making these decisions? Because it verges on insane. And it's also your own government just plain lying to you. If the Montana paper had not published that picture, I suspect they never would have admitted the balloon was up there.
2: I think you're probably right. I felt like last week there was a line, not from the President's State of the Union address, but the best line of the night came from Sarah Huckabee Sanders when she did the response. And she had a great line. She said, the divide in America today is normal versus crazy. And I thought that captures it so well. And you can just go down the list. And one of the things that seems crazy is what we were just walking through. It seems crazy that you would let something come across and then shoot it down and the other things that you don't know what they are, shoot them down. That seems crazy to me. That you have a border that's no longer a border. You just let 5 million people, illegal migrants, come in. It's probably not normal to say that you have now the left, which controls the Democrat Party. They think it's normal to have boys and girls sports. We actually think that's crazy, but that's where the left is. They think it's okay to defund the police. You can just go down the line, and almost every position now that the left has taken and they now control the other party is a crazy position. And so we've become now the party of just common sense and normal. And let's go articulate that in a compelling way. And I think that's going to help the country in so many ways.
3: Years ago, when we had the last great crime wave in the 70s, we used to say that a conservative was a liberal who'd been mugged. Yeah. And I noticed that when a bill came up last week to repeal the District of Columbia's insane new law that would release criminals, that in fact one of the Democrats who voted with you had, in fact, that day been attacked in the elevator <laughs> and she broke with her party. I think 29 Democrats ended up breaking with their party yeah. to vote with the Republicans to repeal this truly crazy pro-criminal law. You've actually gotten majority Democratic votes for the China Committee. Yeah. A majority of the Democrats voted yeah, going, to protect the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I mean, yeah. There's more bipartisanship emerging under McCarthy than we ever saw under Pelosi.
2: Yeah. Speaker McCarthy's putting up some common sense things. Here's a bill we had last week to go along with that theme. We had a bill that says, if you're not a citizen, you shouldn't be able to vote in the District of Columbia. Imagine that. And yet, you know, there's a bunch of Democrats who were against that, but some of them saw, no, no, that makes sense. Only citizens should be participating in American elections. Go figure. So, yeah, I think that is another good thing that the Speaker is doing I would just say this about the Speaker. I think he has brought our team together better than any leader I've served under. Now, you know, in the minority, you know how this is, Speaker, but in the minority, it's a little easier, but he did a great job. And I always point to the first impeachment back in the summer of 2019, when the Democrats did their crazy impeachment, the conventional wisdom was that every single Democrat in the House was going to vote to impeach President Trump and several Republicans were going to join We go through that four-month ordeal, and it was a fight. We go through it. Leader McCarthy kept, Leader Now, Speaker McCarthy kept us together. And when we come out on the other side, every single Republican voted not to impeach. Some Democrats joined us, one switched parties, and has been reelected twice now. Jeff Van Drew from New Jersey. And this year, this Congress just moved on to the Judiciary Committee. He's a great member. That's how you're supposed to operate as a team. We just got to keep that up under Speaker McCarthy's leadership.
3: Well, and I noticed in New Jersey, I think it was just last week, a mayor and the entire city council switched from Democrat to Republican. The craziness is gradually driving common sense Democrats to decide to join the normal party and leave the crazy party.
2: Yep, that's exactly what happened to Mr. Van Drew, and he's a great member and doing a great job serving the folks in southern New Jersey.
4: Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Our first
1: question, Mr. Chairman, comes from Don Curdy,
2: London Rock, Arkansas. All right. Hey, Don. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Chairman, you know, we hear these different things from different sources like Fox and all. We only have maybe Fox as our place where we can argue. What about sending out some real good conservative debaters to these liberal shows that are on Sunday and elsewhere? And really, let's take them on. Take them on like you do when you're wrestling. But my question to you would be, I saw a lot of good things. What do you think Joe Biden's role was in that laptop China-Ukraine thing? I think there's a lot of things in there that could really get back to Joe. And I hope you guys will really develop that. Yeah. I do think it's important from time to time to go on the other networks and debate it out. Speaker Gingrich is the best at this. I've seen him do it over the years. We did it a few weeks ago, went on Sunday morning, meet the press with Chuck Todd. We try to do that from time to time. I think that's important for Republicans to do that. What Joe knew is I think a lot of it's starting to get public. But Chairman Comer from Kentucky of the Oversight Committee is really going to dig into the whole laptop issue and Biden family business operation. And what he really wants to get a hold of, Don, is those suspicious activity reports that the Treasury Department has. Now, it's been reported that there are 150. I think Mr. Comer's only seen two of them. So he wants to see them. And as the name would suggest, this is suspicious banking activity, transactions, money moving that raise concerns. But the Treasury Department so he wants to get a look at that. And he thinks that will tell us a lot about what was going on while Joe Biden was president and Hunter and his son and his brother were operating this business operation. The next question comes from
1: Deborah. Deborah would like to know Do you think that Biden and China are culpable in these
0: balloons being a distraction away from Hunter Biden's laptop scenario?
2: Well, I hope not. And I don't have any evidence to suggest that's going on. I just, as we talked about earlier with the speaker, I just want them to be square with us. Tell us what's going on. Okay, here's another example. Why in the world hasn't the Justice Department briefed the Intelligence Committees in both the House and Senate about the classified documents that were found at President Biden's home, at Vice President? I mean, why not? The fact that even the legislative branch, frankly, should brief all of us, but at a minimum brief the chairman and ranking member of the Intelligence Committee in the House and the Senate you even have Senator Warner, Democrat Senator, saying this is ridiculous. So we're back to this concept of the unelected people think they run the country. And that is not how the Constitution works. So there's this whole idea that we don't know. Just be square with us. Be transparent with us. Tell us what's going on. We're big boys and girls. We're Americans. We can handle it. We're the people who have like prevailed in every major struggle that's happened. We're willing to risk it all and come to America. Like, just give us the facts. We can handle
0: it. Hi there. I'm calling from Seattle, Washington. And I hope to see you, sir, at CPAC next awesome. week. My question is, how do you not get discouraged when you see all of this craziness happening in our country? It's like, you just can't make this stuff up. How do you not get discouraged? I don't view
2: my jobs any harder than yours, any harder than the farmer or the small business owner or the families out there, the school teacher. I mean, look, we're all Americans. We're all working hard trying to do what we think is best. But I just remember it's America. I told this story at a speech earlier today as well. This is probably 10, 12 years ago. My wife and I toured the Wright Brothers home down in Dayton. We live about 35 miles north of Dayton, Ohio. And we met some friends there, did the tour. You paid the lady like five bucks and they take you on this tour and you learn all these things about the Wright Brothers. The last stop on the tour, I mean, they talk to you about the bicycle shop and other things they were inventing and messing around with. Fascinating individuals. Last stop on the tour is one of the, I think it's Wilbur's bedroom. They tell you a few more things about this particular Wright Brother, And then they finish the tour by showing you two pictures. First picture they hold up was that very first flight, 1903, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, in this thing they called a plane. And when you first see that picture, you're like, how did that thing get off the ground? And the truth is it barely did. It flew like a hundred feet, got like eight or 10 feet off the ground. And they show you that picture and you kind of remember that from school. You're like, okay, that's kind of neat. then they put it down. And then the second picture they hold up is 44 years later. 1947, Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier in a jet. And I was like, holy cow. And we went from two guys flying 100 feet in this contraption to 44 years later, another great American from West Virginia, Chuck Yeager, breaks the sound barrier in a jet. And I'm like, that's amazing. I didn't know about the second picture and the timing of that. And they put that down. That's the end of the tour. And I always say, my wife and I, we start walking out the door. And as we're walking out the door, it hit me. Well, wait a minute. Why did they stop there? I represent Wapakoneta, Ohio, hometown of Neil Armstrong, who 22 years after Jaeger breaks the sound barrier, steps on the moon. So when you step back and think, 66 years, we go from two guys flying 100 feet to a man on the moon. One lifetime, this country, and I would argue only this country did that. So when you get discouraged, just remember, this is America. We've done things that no one else can do. It's not perfect, but the best place going. And that's, frankly, right now, one of the differences between our party and the other party. There was a survey done in September last year. They surveyed Democrats. Do you think America is the greatest nation ever? 55% of Democrats did not think that, did not think what well, all of us on this call, what we all know, greatest country ever. That's the divide, too. I just try to keep that in mind. Like, we live in the best place ever, did more good for more people around this planet than any other nation in history. And if you remember that, probably going to have a smile on your face. Hi, this is Bill Baker from Hollister, California. Hi, Bill. Hi. Mr. Congressman, you have a
3: difficult job exposing this corruption of the Biden administration. And I think we need to get that exposed before the next election and get the media to not protect them so that we can get them out of office and get an honest president. Are you right. going to be able to do that before the election?
2: Well, our goal is to do oversight because it's, again, part of our constitutional obligation. And then you it with the idea that once you figure out what's going on, what we suspect is going on, then you want to put together legislation to help address the problem. One simple example of possible legislation is we now we're all familiar with the, the now famous 51 former Intel officials who signed that letter—that letter that said you had that one sentence in there—the Hunter Biden laptop story has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. Bologna—it was legit, and we all know that. But that—that that became sort of the basis for suppressing and hiding that story and keeping it out of the out of the press and out of the news just days before the most important election we have, which is the presidential election. So one of the things that I think has happened is all 51 of those people, my guess is all 51 of those former Intel officials still have a security clearance. Well, is that a good thing or bad thing? I think it's something we need to look at. Why do they sell that Many of them been out of government for years. Why do they still have a security clearance? My guess is it helps them in their whatever consulting or whatever business opportunities they're doing, whatever they're doing with their TV contracts and their paid advisor to certain networks. It all probably helps them. I don't know that that's necessarily good for maybe good for them, but I don't know if it's good for the country. So that's one possible thing we look at, not to mention this idea that we heard from our witnesses, former FBI agents last week, that so much of the power now is run out of D.C. and the Washington field office and not run out of the 50 some field offices around the country like it used to be in the FBI. That's probably a problem. Maybe we need to do legislation that says, no, no, we want that power dispersed, not just everything run out of D.C. So. That's what we want to do. Get the facts on the table for the country to see, because that's always step one in stopping things, and then getting the legislation passed that we need to actually fix. it.
3: Let me just say for everybody before we leave, you are one of the people that I really admire. I've watched your growth. I've watched your seriousness. You are as hardworking and as focused as anybody in the Congress. And I'm very grateful you take time to be with us and I think you know that you have the prayers and the support of everybody on this call and what you're doing is really important for the future of our country. So I thank you for taking the time to be with us this afternoon.
2: Thank you for your service, we appreciate it. Thanks, Speaker.
3: Thank you. We will in the future try to find other chairmen who also have very important roles like Chairman Jordan and make sure that we have on occasion an opportunity to have this kind of conversation where everybody can be involved. And I hope that you found this to be educational. As you could tell, he's a very bright, very thoughtful person. He's going to make a big impact. And this was a chance for you to have a real conversation with him. I hope that if you find this useful, that you'll tell your friends about it and encourage them to join us on the Inner Circle, because I find that the feedback and the ideas and the things that come in are very, very helpful. Thank you for listening, and thank you to members of my Inner Circle Club. And if you'd like to become a member, please go to Newt'sInnerCircle.com and sign up for a one or two year membership today. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan, our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks. To the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.
1: Zumo Play.